Morning. Uh, here we are. Uh, this is a special moment for me. I won't lie. I've got out of the house for a few minutes. We needed milk, needed the newspapers. I mean, I say needed the newspapers. It's probably a stupid idea uh, buying those because at this moment, as we're on this path, I mean, not this particular path, but this path of coronavirus, of COVID-19, that we've spent weeks locked up in our houses, and the end seems so far away as I read the headlines about antivirals and vaccines and how long they might take. And we seem to be months, maybe years away from the end of this. And I don't know about you, but to me, it seemed like sometimes this path is never ending. As I look to the future, I can hardly see a glimpse of the end of it, let alone the actual exit. But the good news, the good news that we see in today's passage in Ezekiel is that our God never leaves us, abandons us in this place, but shows us a vision of what he's got for us for the future. Something amazing in a time of trial, because Ezekiel was in this same place. He was amazing, the parallels between us and him, in this place of separation, of distance, of loss. So today, as I speak to you, about what our response should be in a time of crisis. I'm gonna head home, draw out some of those parallels and unpack just that for us this morning. So before we do it, let's actually pray, shall we? Father God, we pray that you speak your words of truth, Lord, your words of wisdom, your words of knowledge to us now as we uh, tackle this passage, as we hear your word, spoken for us this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to school. Uh, this has been our classroom, our dinner hall, my office, our playroom, uh, everything for the last few weeks and months as we've spent this time in lockdown and homeschooling the kids, well at least attempting to anyway. Uh, you'll see my skills in just a moment, but I thought it was a perfect place to bring you therefore for a history lesson. Going to do a bit of ancient Israel history. So I've got all the tools I need. I've got a big sheet of paper. Uh, I've got a couple of oranges uh, just to hold the paper down. And I've got a selection of the kids' crayons, which is exactly the sort of thing that you need to do a lesson like this. So I just wanted to kind of put is, uh, Ezekiel in context for you and, and how he relates to us now. So quickly, this is uh, ancient Israel. Okay, uh, I know it doesn't look exactly like Israel. It's not to scale, obviously. Uh, over here is the sea, just so you get a bit of an idea of where all that is. Uh, you've got uh, some land here which they can't go near. It's the Philistines in there, so they can't go. And it's about 700 years this before Jesus, just to put it into historical context for you. Make notes on that, please, if you can. Uh, across here is a line. Now that line demonstrates the divide that came between the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. These two uh, weren't the best of mates anymore, division. And uh, in the northern kingdom, they had the great benefit, as you can see, of the sea over here. And in the southern kingdom, they didn't. But in the southern kingdom, they had the capital of Jerusalem. Uh, so that was where the temple was, that's where the king uh, was and the king was really important to the people, the Israel, uh, the, the people of Israel, uh, because the king came in the line of David and showed God's blessing over them over time. 
and uh, their continual, God's continual blessing on them. There was also a bit of a mediator between them and God. In the Northern Kingdom um, is uh, Samaria was their uh, capital. Which, hence where you get the Samaritans, uh, hence you'll remember from uh, the New Testament that this lot didn't get on that well. Now, uh, the southern kingdom, as I said, couldn't get to the, the sea. Northern kingdom could, made them rather uh, a good target for the people over here, which were the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians weren't a friendly bunch, unless you were one of them, I guess. Uh, and they uh, came and they agitated the, southern king the northern kingdom uh, so much so that they invaded and they actually wiped them off the planet. So that was that gone. Southern, northern kingdom gone, southern kingdom remains. They've got Jerusalem, they've got their king, they've got their land. Now, the Assyrians weren't that friendly to the southern kingdom either. You're following, I hope you're following with me. Um, I'm doing this with the children later, so you're like a warm-up. And... Um, the uh, Assyrians basically uh, bothered the, the, the southern kingdom uh, so much they really wanted to get rid of them. And then one day, great news, the Babylonians uh, wiped out the Assyrians and came in and uh, were worse neighbours than the neighbours that they'd had before. Uh, and in fact, came in and invaded the southern kingdom as well. And they took all the best people, all the richest people, all the cleverest people, all the wealthiest people, all the good people, anybody who could do any decent work, and they took them off into exile in Babylonia. And this was the time of a Jewish exile. And you may well have heard about that. And this is the time in which, because he was one of them, Ezekiel was writing. He was taken into exile. This time of separation. This time of distance. This time of loss. Because for the people who had gone into exile, You've got to remember how important their land, we know how important the land was. And they'd been removed from that. That was their promise of blessing from God. Also their king, they'd been removed from their king. Who was their promise of continual blessing from generation to generation. They'd also lost their temple, their temple in Jerusalem, which was the place of God's presence amongst them. Gone, hundreds of miles away from where they find themselves now. And a, and a, a God, a nation uh, under a God, that was their banner in those days. So as they fought, as they went about their business, they were under the banner of their God. And so to be taken over by another nation with another God, their God had been defeated too. But in this place of lament, of loss, the prophet Ezekiel was writing to tell them that the God that they thought had gone the God they thought had abandoned them, the God they thought was dead, was more alive than ever before. And in fact, if they remembered him, if they turned to him, if they responded in this time of crisis, he would pour out living water, not just on them, but from there to the rest of the world. To all the nations getting deeper and wider the further away it went. Because you see, a prophet, a prophet wasn't just somebody. And we often think this, don't we, that the prophets are foretelling the future. Well done to them. We can look back in hundreds or thousands of years' time and go, hey, you did a, oh no, you did a less good job. Not sure any of that's come true yet. The prophets were showing a vision of God for the people of that time. They were writing for them there and now. They're writing to elicit a response, a response of turning 
to God. So you can see where they were in this time of separation, of distance, of loss that we are now. And they were being called uh, to a response to God. And I believe that we are too. I believe there are some of you who need to know today that God has not abandoned you. And there are others of us that need to respond by turning back to God. We're going to look a bit more at that now. Uh, In the the essence of the schoolroom, let's move to a different classroom where I've got a different tool to help us to unpack this a bit more and understand what it means to have these words of prophecy spoken to us what it means and what it looks like for us to respond uh, during this crisis. Uh, so if you've, any of you have joined me on a Zoom call over the last few weeks, uh, you'll know this has been like my second office, basically. It's the only place I can come for a bit of quiet from the kids. So it's a good place to dig into a bit of the uh, response element of what we've heard, a bit of what we're uh, called to, a bit of the key to our response in this time of crisis. Because if you grab your Bible and look back uh, before the chapter that uh, with the passage that we've read today about this river of life, about this water that flowed, it flows from uh, under the step of the temple. Because this whole section of the book of Ezekiel, the prophet has been giving them a vision of what would happen if they put God back on his throne. A vision of what comes as they turn back to this God that they thought had gone, this dead God. Because you see, in this time, there were a couple of things happening. They were in this time where there was many of them lamenting and they were sad and they were wondering where their God had gone. Uh, They wrote the book of Lamentations during the exile. But also, This Babylon kingdom, for many of them, it was a glorious and wonderful place because it's a very advanced society, lots of great stuff going on. And they were getting used to the new normal, the new normal, a phrase that we've heard quite a lot, haven't we? But Ezekiel is calling them forwards with this vision of this water of life that they as a nation will be great. Because as it flows out, we read about measuring out the, the, the space, 1,000 cubits, and then it was ankle deep, another 1,000 cubits. It was knee deep, measured off another 1,000. And it got so deep that no one could cross. It's a vision of the blessing, the amount, the abundance of the blessing of God. But they need to turn back to him. The word uh, in Greek used that's translated as crisis, is the word crisis. But with the Greek being the original language of the New Testament, it's a, it's a word that can be also translated as judgment. And as we understand that word, it's this idea of um, a time of unveiling, of revelation, a time where stuff is peeled away, where the foundations of our life are stripped away. And we've got to decide who is on the throne. Because in the chapters leading up to this, as I talked about that temple, about the throne uh, from which this water flows, that's what Ezekiel had been calling them to do, to rebuild. It was language they would understand, to rebuild the temple. By that he's meaning put God back on the throne. 
is the if and then. If you put God back on the throne, then his blessing will be so bountiful that it will be enough for you, for everybody around you, and it will flow, as we read in Ezekiel this passage today, towards the eastern region, enters the Dead Sea, and then empties into the Dead Sea where the salty water becomes fresh, so it brings everything to life, and then it heads out beyond uh, into the Mediterranean and beyond, and all around the world. The blessing is huge if they restore God to his throne. Because I believe that's what God says to us. He says, I've got an amazing gift for you. He's not beating people into repentance. He's drawing with an amazing gift. But so often we leave it, even though we've got the key. Let me, let me show you. This is an amazing, beautiful box. It's just a little illustration to help us to remember this. This is a beautiful box that uh, my wife was given by her grandpa after her grandma died. And it's a beautiful thing that's passed on. And he's had it lovingly restored. And we got it and we opened it up and we loved it. We thought it was such a beautiful thing. And it's a thing that, I mean, if I wasn't training to be a vicar in the Church of England, I would be able to afford to fill with amazing jewellery. As it is, uh, there's very little in there. In fact, in this, there's a 2p in that side of it. But it is a beautiful thing nonetheless. And we got it and we looked in it and we looked at the things that were in it and we shut the lid and we kept it safe uh, here in, in the bedroom. And over the coming weeks and months, uh, separate to this, my wife got into, just got into some uh, sewing, into cross-stitching. It was just some peaceful activity she could do in amongst the craziness of having the children. And so we went out and bought some scissors and things like that to try and get it going and be able to do this uh, well. Weeks later, we got the key and we unlocked this and we looked inside and we lifted out this middle bit. And in there were some amazing things that we'd seen, some photographs and some bits of lace that had been handed down. But under it all was the most amazing pair of antique sewing scissors, which she now uses every day to do her sewing. But I believe this is what God does to us with the prophecies that he's given. He shows us this amazing gift that he's given. He puts it in our reach. He gives it to us and he gives us the key. And that key is simple. It's turning from our own ways, from our own self-dependence, from our own self-reliance, from our uh, own ways of our worldly desires, of our trusting in ourselves, in our trying to sort everything out all by ourselves. And the habits that we fall into and turn to God and put him as king on our throne, on the throne of our life. And that's the key. And we can open it and find amazing blessing that will be abundant inside. But so often we don't use that key. We just leave it on the side. We know that it's there, the gift, but we carry on anyway, buying our own scissors or whatever it might be. But I believe this is a call for us today. Because in Jesus, we have the promise of this life, this abundant blessing. That even in this time of crisis, even in this time as everything is stripped away, the foundations upon which we build our life, and maybe even the foundations upon which we've built our faith, 
Maybe religion, maybe Christianity, maybe your faith has become about Sundays. Maybe your faith has become about what you get out of it rather than what you can give to other people. I had to do a life audit for my college course recently. It was just for fun, but it's eye-opening. I'm not saying this is necessarily the right thing to do, but it's fascinating. Write down everything you do, everything you do in your day, all the things that you give your time to, and work out how much of it you give to God. It's not an exact science. I'm not saying that you need to percentage-wise give God more, but it's this time like this when everything is stripped away that we've got time to work out whether we've really got God on the throne of our lives. Because Jesus says he stands at the door and knocks. He's standing at the door and knocking. And our future planning is shouting at another door. But God is calling us to an amazing vision. And we know that Jesus has promised that to us. And there's an amazing... Uh, Revelation, as we talk about revelations, we talk about things being revealed in our life. The book of Revelation mirrors this Ezekiel passage with promising the healed land, the revival, the abundance, the fruit at all times and in all places. The fish will be of many kinds, it says in Ezekiel. There'll be large numbers of fish. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks, verse 12. The leaves will not wither, neither will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit. To have that open in your Bibles, Ezekiel 47, 1-12, as I read this from Revelation 22, which is the promise for us as believers and followers in Jesus Christ. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal. So it's this water of life again, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, so from Jesus Christ. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more. They will need no lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. They will reign forever and ever. That's the promise of what we've got ahead. It's not death and diminishing. It's not losing everything, giving up. But it's abundant life. When we daily put God back on his throne, we repent, we confess our sins. And God promises to pour out abundant blessing. You know, my theology doesn't subscribe to the idea that God sent this coronavirus as some kind of uh, punishment. But I do believe that a time of crisis such as this, and such as we face all through our life, is our opportunity to realise just how much we need God. And that our response in a time of crisis, our number one response in a time of crisis, is to stand firmly on the rock of Jesus Christ, to confess our sins, 
to repent, to turn back to him. And then, and then, and then, he will pour out abundant blessing. It gets wider and deeper and goes on to bring revival and healing of our entire world. It's amazing, isn't it? It's just not a stick to beat ourselves with. We're promised the forgiveness. We're promised as we turn to Jesus and repent that he will forgive our sins and heal our land. So don't feel abandoned by God. He has not abandoned you. He is calling you forwards and he's given you the key. He's given you the key. That key is the repentance and the turning and the putting Jesus, putting God back on the throne. So I thought as we finish today, as we move into worship, we could join together to do something that people in churches up and down the country have done every week, some every day, for years and years and years. We can join together in the confession, this based on the Psalm 51. I'm going to put the words up on the screen for you. And just pray along in your hearts quietly or out loud, however you fancy. But take this as an opportunity to come back to God, to repent, to turn to him and to receive the abundant blessing the Spirit of God will pour out on you. So together in your hearts, in your minds, let's say this. Lord God, we have sinned against you. We have done evil in your sight. We are sorry and repent. Have mercy on us according to your love. Wash away our wrongdoing and cleanse us from our sin. Renew a right spirit within us and restore us to the joy of your salvation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And together we say, Amen. And now a blessing of our assurance of forgiveness and a blessing from God. May the God of love and power forgive us and free us from our sins. Heal and strengthen us by his spirit and raise us to new life in Christ our Lord. Amen.